let's go. Okay, we'll close the eyes. We'll sit up nice, comfortable, tall, with the tall spine. Relax though. We'll recite Om three times. Take a deep inhalation. Softly open the eyes. Namaste and welcome everyone. Welcome to our ongoing series of these monthly discussions. So we'll start with our invocation to Sage Patanjali. So let me share the screen. Can everyone see the screen? Yeah, okay. So we'll do the uh, invocation to Sage Patanjali and you can either close the eyes, just listen in, you can recite along or just read the screen if you're not familiar with it. Yogena chittasya padena vacham Malam sharirasya chavaidyakena Yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi Patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shanka Chakrasidharinam Sahasra Shirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim and One of you, maybe Heather, you want to read the English translation? You can unmute yourself. Okay. I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my salutations to Sage Patanjali, the highest among the Munis, the sages, who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treatise on Ayurveda, of language through his treatise on grammar, and the Patanjala Mahabhashaya? Mahabhashaya. Mahabhashaya? Bhashya. 
Mahabhashya. And the impurities of the chitta, mind field, through his treatise on yoga, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. I bow to Patanjali, whose upper body above the arms is of human shape, who is carrying a conch, a discus, and a sword, and has 1,000 bright heads. Okay, let's say, salute to sage Patanjali. Okay, I'm going to share the screen so you can all look at the screen. All right. So now, uh, <clears throat> yeah, what we have been doing so far is to, to go through the sutras one sutra at a time. And uh, <clears throat> we started with chapter one. We did a, only a few sutras in chapter one first. Well, before I do that, hold on a second. Let me make sure I'm recording this. Uh, yes, okay, sorry. So, uh, so what we did was we did a few uh, sutras, maybe I think 15 or, six, 15 or 16 in chapter one, and then we uh, moved on to chapter two. And in chapter two, then we have gone through every sutra in chapter two, starting from number one. And right now we are, we're doing the eight limbs of yoga, and I'm sure most of you are very familiar with the eight limbs of yoga called the Ashtanga Yoga. <clears throat> okay, so we spent some time going through the yamas and niyamas, and then we moved on to asana, pranayama, etc. And today, uh, we, we actually did a couple of these slides on Pratyahara last time, but then we ran out of time. So I, I, so I think it will be a good idea to kind of review these slides again go through them again and, uh, and continue from there on. So this is Pratyahara. And let me uh, just make sure I understand, you know, that everyone is familiar with the eight limbs of yoga roughly by name. Is there anybody who has not heard of the eight limbs of yoga? Ashtanga yoga? I think everyone has, right? Okay, good. So, uh, so Pratyahara is the limb number five. And <clears throat> does anyone want, want to kind of volunteer and, and say a few words about what you understand by Pratyahara? Anybody, doesn't matter. What, what's your understanding of the word Pratyahara? How does it apply to us? Say a few words. Uh, this is Brandy. Um, the way I think of Pratyahara is um, often there's a parenthetical sense withdrawal. Um, and that I'm not using any of my I'm not engaging any objects that my bodily senses are picking up. 
So I'm not um, engaging the eyes on an object. I'm not using my ears to listen for an external object, etc. When you say you're not engaging your ears, for example, let's say you're you're sitting down and maybe reading a book or something, and suddenly you hear a hear a dog bark in the neighborhood. What what do your ears do at that point? Mm. When you say you're not engaging your ears, yeah. So I'm guessing ideally, um, I would have I I would not react or even hear it. Um, I would be so absorbed mm-hmm. by what I was doing in this sense, reading the book that I would not pick up on the dog barking. Mm. Or if I did, um, I would let that go pretty quickly and get back to being absorbed in the book I was reading. Very good, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good understanding of, of Pratyahara. Okay. Anybody else want to say a word or two? Anybody else? Just to piggyback off Brandy, it's Diane. Um, um, yeah, what she was mentioning about being absorbed and uh, the word that comes to mind for me is attention. So just putting all of my focus and attention and um, whatever task or turning inward so that any distraction to the five senses can be easily ignored. And it makes me think of, it just made me think of like my cat, something that I've noticed as, um, cause I just got her a few weeks ago. And early on when she would hear me moving and wrestling, she would kind of like get scared and like be really attentive cause she's still getting to know her environment. But nowadays I'll do perform the same task or same movement that originally would scare her. But because she's so, it's such a familiar sound, so similar to maybe like the dog barking, um, it's such a familiar sound. She's able to kind of set it aside. So she knows it's not what she needs to focus on. Like it's just something in the background. So that's kind of how um, I noticed like a similarity relating back to this, just being really attentive to what matters. Good, very good. Good, good, good. All right, so. Good thoughts. Let's move on and uh, let's read through these sutras. And the first sutra that uh, talks about Patyahara is number 54 in chapter 2. And as as most of you know, what we do is to first read through the Sanskrit and then try to understand the meaning of each and every word of of the phrase and then see what the the broader explanation is, okay? So, uh, the sutra reads like this. I'm just going to read the full sutra first and then break it up. Svavishaya samprayoge chittasya svarupanukara eva indriyanam pratyaharaha. Okay, so that's the, the Sanskrit phrase. And uh, <clears throat> the, the main word obviously is, is pratyahara. Now, when I move these, uh, move my, uh, my mouse, are you able to see that movement? So you can see where I'm pointing out, okay? So I might actually move my, my mouse around the Sanskrit words, which 
I know it's a mistake because most of you probably don't read this uh, script, so I should be moving it here. <laughs> okay. So the, the main theme is obviously Pratyahara. It is the definition of Pratyahara, which is being given by Patanjali. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> so the main theme here is that it is, the, the word here is, uh, uh, the first thing is svavishaya asamprayoge. So if you can probably recognize the word yoga here, okay? So there's a word here, yoga. And then there are prefixes, prayoge, samprayoge, asamprayoge. So there are many prefixes to this word yoga, okay? Okay, so yoga means union or, or joining with something. And here they are talking about Swavishaya. Vishaya means the objects of, of the senses. So if you were to look at a flower, that's a Vishaya or an object for the eyes. If you were to hear the sound, the barking, barking sound of a dog, that's the Vishaya for the organ of ear or the sound, okay? So that's called Vishaya. Vishaya means these objects that are attractive to the five senses. That's called Vishwaya. When you add the prefix swa, swa means its own. So each individual one of these five senses, they all have their own objects of attraction. So swa vishaya. All right. So, so the, the, the top, the, the subject of this discussion is, of uh, this part of the discussion is, what do I do with the objects of attraction my individual objects of attraction for each of the five senses. That's the, what we're talking about. And what we want to do is to do a sampra yoga. Now, what does that mean? Yoga, as I said, is joining with something or in this case, object of the attraction. Okay, pra yoga, when you add the prefix pra, it means uh, you're actually emphasizing that you are ab absolutely going to join it. And some means just like Sanskrit or or samskara, you know, that same prefix, some, it, some means very nicely, okay, thoroughly. So up, before, uh, up to, if you leave out the, the prefix a, uh, the word samprayoge means very thoroughly joining with something. So if there was no prefix a, uh, it will be very thoroughly connected with the, with the objects of the senses. But this uh, the, the prefix uh, negates everything, okay? So when you say asamprayoge, uh, it means absolutely no connection, no joining with the, with whatever is the subject. And here the subject is my own objects of attraction. Vishaya means object of attraction from the five senses point of view. So this, this combination of these two words, swa vishaya asamprayoge uh, means that after having or on completely disengaging myself, disengaging from the five senses or from the objects that are attractive to the five senses. Okay, so that's the, this, just these first two words. Does everyone get it? <laughs> okay. Now, the next word is chitta. Chittasya means of the mind. Chittasya is of the mind. Now, what does it say? The, it's all talk, talking about the mind, right? So the, what it says is in mind, after having disengaged 
the senses from their respective objects of attraction. Swarupa Anukara. That's the main thing here. Swarupa Anukara. Swarupa is its own form, its own nature. Anukara is to follow. Okay. So what it's saying is here the word Indriya is the five senses. Okay. Indriya Nam. Indriya means the five senses. So essentially then what it is saying here is that I am you know, in a state where the mind is able to disengage itself from any input or any engagement with the objects of the five Indriyas. Indriya is in five senses, right? Indriyanam. It doesn't say five, but we know there are five, okay? So all the sense organs or senses that we have, we want to disengage and as if they are following Swarupa, its own nature. That means they have merged inwards and now they are able to follow the mind rather than the opposite, in the opposite direction. You get it? So the meaning here is that when the senses disengage from their respective objects of attraction and imitate as if, or as it were, the nature of the mind itself. This is Pratyahara. Okay? So that's how you break down this whole sentence, uh, Sanskrit sentence into individual words, which give us, a, just like Laura said, you know, if you know the meaning of these words in detail, you can kind of, you know, make up your own understanding of what it means, rather than entirely depending on the translation by the commentator. Okay, does that make sense, everyone? Yes, that's what we've been doing. We break down every single word and then we see what it means. Okay, so that's Pratyahara. Okay, let's move on to the thing. Now, these are my notes, you know. Uh, so based on what I have been reading from the different commentators, then I make my notes and we go through these notes, all right, all the time. All right. Let me read through these one by one. And if you have any, any question whatsoever at any time, absolutely ask. Don't hesitate. You will not be distracting. You will be actually helping the discussion if you ask questions. <laughs> okay. So Pratyahara is an important and yet most often the least discussed taught or practice limb of yoga. I think we most of us know that, you know, we focus only on asana, pranayama, or meditation, and we tend to ignore pratyahara. Most often referred to as an external limb along with yamas, niyamas, asana, and pranayama. So these are the five yamas, niyamas, asana, and pranayama. And then you add pratyahara, they are called the external. In fact, that's how they are defined. In Sutra 3.7, 3 is chapter 3, 7 is the Sutra number. So chapter 3, Sutra 7, it actually, Patanjali says that these five are external limbs. Okay. Yamas and Niyamas, as we know, uh, truth, non-violence, purity, and all those uh, Yamas and Niyamas, they help us purify, cleanse the mind, bring the mind to a state where it is uh, peaceful enough, you know, calm enough so that it can get into other aspects of yoga. Okay, so that's the yamas and niyamas. 
Then asanas, obviously, they help us making the body strong, flexible, stable, free of disease. Okay, we de develop more uh, endurance and all that good stuff. So that's essential for meditation because you know, the body, which has ailments, you know, it get, it cannot get into meditation very effectively. Pranayama, we know that it energizes the body, in, uh, essentially the, the vital body, which is the inner structure, the physiological structure, calms the mind. And it also, pranayama is a very strong uh, practice to control the, the five senses. So when you're deep into pranayama, you can feel naturally that your senses are not getting distracted. Okay, and then pratyahara, of course, the purpose is to disengage the mind from the senses, and thus, when when the mind is not entangled or distracted by the senses, then it has a better chance of being focused, stabilized. Okay, and then you are ready for meditation, and eventually leading to samadhi. Okay, so now let's continue the discussion. Pratyahara. What does it mean? It's a composite of two words, prati and then ahara. So ahara means food. In, a, in, a, in the common language, when we speak of ahara, it means the food intake, but literally it means any kind of intake into the body. That's ahara, okay? Again, you know, these are all, <laughs> uh, you know, these are defined based on the root words and all that. So now Laura knows more about root words and all <laughs> So this actually is derived from the word hri. Hri means to steal away something. Okay, to take away something, hri. And then, so uh, hara is to take something away. But when you add the prefix ah, it reverses the direction. So not taking away, but bringing it in. That's the word, literal meaning of ahara. So, any input into the body is called, in that sense, is an ahara. But then, prati. Prati is the opposite now. Prati means against or away or in the opposite direction. Okay. So, pratyahara means not letting food into the system, basically. Disallowing, the food, disallowing any input into the system. And what are the sources of input? Five senses. <laughs> we know that now. Okay, so we are disengaging the mind or, or, or not letting any input be received through the five senses. And that's pratyahara, literal meaning of pratyahara. Okay, you can think of it as a, as a turtle which is withdrawing its limbs and its limbs are like the five senses <clears throat> into its own shell. And you can think of the shell as the mind, okay? So they give an example, okay, it's like a turtle withdrawing by its own limbs inside. <clears throat> that's, an, that's an example given by one of the commentators. So I, I took that as a good example. And then the three levels of input, you know, three types of input that you can get into the, into the body. And I just paraphrase that food. Physical food that provides nourishment and energy in the form of the five physical elements, five uh, gross elements. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether. We know that. Okay. So these are the physical food. Then impressions which are in the mind that bring up subtle sense perceptions, sound, touch, taste, smell, etc. Okay. So these are the subtle perceptions that are 
already a part of the of the of the our subconscious levels and then they can come up anytime but then more than that we have other impressions you know we have some emotions some feelings and some thoughts which have been stored in our subconscious level then they come up at any time based on which of the three gunas is active or predominant at that moment you know sattva guna will bring up some positive thoughts rajas guna will bring up some activation thoughts energy and tamas guna will bring up some very dull sleepy hill thoughts does everyone know these three gunas everyone is familiar with them okay if you like i said if you have any questions please ask are um subash are the impressions uh, is that similar to memories they are a part of the memories they are called samskaras okay in sanskrit they are called samskaras mem you know uh, memories is is a kind of a combined word for everything that's in there but when we talk in the in the context of yoga you know we have the, these three different uh, words that that categorize the memory one is pure memory as i call it smriti in sanskrit okay so pure memory is the actual uh, uh actual event or actual uh, experience that we have then then the samskara is is what you have added as a judgment to that memory okay okay whether you have liked it disliked it hated it loved it okay that's the second part which is that becomes a samskara okay that's a little more addition to the actual memory actual factual memory you can call it correct and then the third component which is called vasana v a s a n a which is uh, adding a little more component to it which says ah i think i want to have a repeat performance or it was so bad i have absolutely no desire to have anything to do with it again okay it's an element of desire it's all a part of the memory but we are adding a little more uh, added labels you can call it to the memory okay and those are the samskaras okay and when they come up that's what brings up all kinds of you know the, the if you recall the very <laughs> definition of yoga is chitta vritti nirodha it's in the very second sutra of chapter 1 vritti is what comes up in the mind as as a mental fluctuation which is all caused by this samskaras coming up based on whether it is a sattva guna tamo guna or rajas guna okay each one of them will bring about memories and and vrittis of a different kind and that's what patanjali says you have to learn how to <laughs> how to how to stabilize and calm the mind and not not have those vrittis cause havoc in us <laughs> okay so that's the three levels of food and of course you know when we talk of the senses patanjali does not define them uh, exactly as they are defined here but they all come from the sankhya philosophy so we have uh, five organs of perception ears eyes nose tongue and the skin then we have five organs of action okay feet for locomotion hands for dexterity organs of excretion organs of reproduction and then the tongue for speech so tongue appears in both organs of perception as well as action in action it is speech 
and in perception it is taste the same organ all right and of course mind is the 11th organ which is required for any of the above organs to function okay without the mind nothing can happen <laughs> we cannot perceive anything we cannot do any motor action we cannot move our hands or feet so that's the part of pratyahara uh, then in a, in a kind of a broad sense we can think of uh, pratyahara uh, as being is composed of two different approaches all right they are kind of interconnected i mean but, but in, in a, to just to kind of simplify the understanding we can think of these two approaches as first being that the 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 we, we we learn how to disengage the senses from being attracted to the through the sense objects like just i like i said like you said you know if you are reading a book nicely and in in engrossed in it and the mind is so deeply engrossed that even if you heard your name somebody shouting your name you won't hear it or if you heard a dog barking you won't hear it that's that's training the the senses no that's actually the second part it's more like the no that's the second part let me uh, that example which i gave is this one where you just you disengage the mind from the five senses because now the 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 sound is actually reaching the ears and it is trying to distract us but the mind is so deeply engrossed in something it is not paying attention okay but the first part is where you are kind of not letting the senses go after the the objects of desire so if you are in a mall for example if you are in a in a store uh, let's say a grocery store and now that's where the first part will get in uh, get into play you're looking at all kinds of lovely food and uh, other articles you know and then suddenly you say you see something that really attracts you oh now you, you now you have controlled the mind with that because your senses are true attracted to that object whether it's food or cloth or anything else that uh, you know it feels very attractive to you all right so or you go to a music store or something you hear some piece of music ah i want this you know so the point is the first one is where the the senses themselves getting attracted to the objects of attraction and then controlling the mind through the process and telling the mind hey mind hey, let's go for it let's go for it right that's the one and the second example is where i was saying that you are totally absorbed in listening to some very deeply peaceful soulful music you know and you're so deeply engrossed at that point if somebody calls your name you don't even pay attention that's the mind disengaging from the five senses you get the distinction between the two roughly okay so that's the two approaches that you can have in understanding how to kind of approach this whole concept pratyahara okay so the senses they continue to receive input through the sense organs but the mind in the second case the mind is unwilling to retrieve these inputs it's like you know some some boss at a at a corporation they put a sign uh, busy do not disturb <laughs> or something like that so the mind would say i am busy please don't disturb me so you have put a sign outside there no disturbance no entry <laughs> okay 
So uh, the, the senses then, of course, when they are not able to distract the mind, and then they, 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 okay, they say, all right, if the mind is not interested, I'll follow the mind, whatever it says, I'll do, okay? So then the, the example given by Vyasa in his commentaries, mind is like the queen bee, and the senses are like the, the other bees that follow the queen bee, basically, at that point, okay? I don't know how many of you know this example, but that's how they follow, queen bee. All right. And these days, you know, the, the, one of the major problems we have related to our senses is the sensory overload, we call it, right? We have constantly, we are being bombarded by, you know, news media, TV, internet, and, you know, all kinds of videos, audios, and uh, you name it, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant uh, bombardment, you can say, you know. And it's almost impossible <laughs> to stay away, you know. And so the mind gets constantly distracted, even when you sit for meditation. You know, if you have your phone next to you, and if there's a WhatsApp message or there's an email message, you know, you'll get a ping sound or some, some kind of a sound, you know, and that will distract you. There's no way to get rid of this unless you turn the phone off, turn this TV off, you know, and find a spot where there is no distraction. That's hard these days, you know. So that's why it's becoming harder and harder to sit and meditate. <laughs> So that, that's when we say senses begin to control the mind and they control our thoughts, behavior, and everything. We're stuck, basically. <laughs> that's why I say, you know, at that point, we are a slave of the five senses, not their master. <laughs> and once you become a slave, I don't know who can help us, you know. <laughs> so what... What, what you're saying is the mind can benefit from a sensory fast, similar to the body benefiting from a food fast. For example, uh, if you I don't know if you've tried it, phone fast, TV fast, social media fast, and all that stuff. Anybody tried it? Anybody? You have. Heather has shaking her head, and Brandy has. Okay, so people are working on it. <laughs> it's good, you know. Basically, anything that you find too attractive, whether it is TV, watching, or listening to some music, or uh, uh, looking at the Facebook every few minutes and things like that, or, or, or some food, for example. That's, that's another good example because you're all very attractive to some food, some types of food, and we need that, you know. If you, are, <laughs> if you are addicted to your cup of coffee in the morning, you must have it, no matter what. You know? And uh, so that's the kind of thing that we want to understand. And, you know, uh, we all know that, you know, these samskara, these are the patterns that are deeply embedded in our subconscious level. So the whole purpose of yoga is to somehow break those patterns. Every pattern can eventually cause us problems. If it's a deep-seated pattern, which we call habit or behavior pattern or whatever, you know, 
it can cause problems. Yeah. Um, I know many people tell me that if they don't get a cup of coffee in the morning, they get a headache. All right. And so you have to make conscious efforts to break those patterns. Okay. And that's the whole purpose of yoga is to break the patterns called samskaras. And then once you have broken those patterns, they become less effective, uh, ineffective. And of course, when you do that more and more repeatedly, then that's the term he uses, Vyasa term, uses the term, Dagdha Bija. Dagdha means, uh, Dagdha means uh, uh, burnt. Bija is seed. So they become like burnt seed. When you burn a seed, it cannot fructify. It cannot bear any fruit after that. No, it cannot become a plant anymore. So they're there in your mind. They'll still be there in your subconscious, but they have been broken so badly that they cannot come up and bother you anymore. So that's the, the effect of all yoga practices. Okay. So any thoughts or comments on this so far? This is Pratyahara. And then I have a few, a list of few pranaya, Pratyahara techniques. So I think I mentioned earlier, pranayama is a very powerful technique to allow the senses to come kind of turn inwards. So senses follow the prana. So we energize prana through pranayama. Deep, slow breathing techniques calm the nerves and the mind. And during breath retention, which is called kumbhaka, the yogi withdraws his awareness from the five senses. Okay, It's a deeply focusing technique. You can even do, you know, not just pratyahara of the five senses. You know, there, there are some commentators who use the term karma pratyahara. Karma is the action, you know, your own actions. So you can do karma pratyahara. That means you're not bothered by the actions that we do. If you have too much desire to get, you know, the fruits of the action, then that brings a lot of unnecessary food into your system. So you want to have selfless, selfless action, okay? The Sanskrit word that is very commonly used, nishkama karma. Kama is desire. Nishkama is desireless action. Offering all actions and the fruits thereof to the Lord. To the, to the Lord, is that a better? Right? Focus on now one of the, the examples that the commentators give is focus on one sense suppression for, for, a, for a little prolonged time. And they give you the example, you look at a blue sky, uh, ocean, some tree or some branches of a tree or a flower, or listen to some music for a while. So you are engaging just one sense uh, perception, sense impression at a time. And that, if you do it for a prolonged period of time, it will train your mind to be more focused, more engaged into whatever you decide to do. Okay, so that's one way of, of uh, uh, engaging your mind. And this is actually one of the techniques. I was reading a, an article on Tantra meditation techniques. And this is one of the techniques they recommend strongly uh, in Tantra meditation that you should uh, 
focus on one sense perception at a time, okay? And they, in fact, they tell you to, to look at, you know, go outside on a, on a beautiful, clear, starry night and then lie down and then and gaze at the sky, gaze at the stars for a long time, eyes open. And that can really help you calm the mind. That's one of the practices mentioned in the, in the Tantra techniques. Okay? So it's a very common practice then. And then of course you should, you know, you want to create positive impressions by meditating on nature. You can visit the temples, uh, you can offer some flowers, water, fruit, etc. You know, these are some of the Indian customs people do. And the purpose of course is to, is to keep the mind kind of focused on that divine aspect of, of the beings, you know, so that you don't get too, too distracted from other things. And then there are some visualization techniques, which are also mentioned in many texts, you know, visualizing a, an image, you know, an image of your own deity. For example, if you're a Shiva devotee, you can have an image of Shiva or Vishnu or some, some goddess in Indian culture, you know, they have that. Uh, your own guru, for example, you know, bring an image of that guru in your mind. Some, again, like I said, natural scene. This is closed eye visualizations, okay? So you can do that visualization. It will help you stay nicely uh, focused inward, okay? All right. Now, in the, in the classes that I teach, you know, I, I do practice a few techniques which you can consider as very appropriate for Pratyahara. One of them is Yoga Nidra. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Yoga Nidra is a, is a relaxation technique where we first tighten the body and then go into deep relaxation. And during that relaxation, I'm sure if you have done this, you've experienced a pretty decent withdrawal of the five senses. And what, what I have noticed is uh, that when I do this, when I do this in my classes, you know, people sometimes they give the impression that they have fallen asleep now. So they won't hear anything else, right? If, if, somebody, if some neighbor speaks up something, they won't hear anything. The only thing they hear, and this is through training, is when I finally say, okay, now bring your awareness, your breathing. Even if they were, if, even if they were fast asleep, they'll wake up. It's just how they get tuned to it. Nothing else will distract them. But only when I say, okay, now it's time to bring awareness to the breathing, they're awake. <laughs> it's a very beautiful experience, they tell me. <laughs> okay, so that's Yoga Nidra. So it is very nice, beautiful practice for, for Pratyahara. Then the, the Shanmukhi Mudra, that, that's very basic purpose of that mudra is to, is to, to turn the senses inward. Is everyone familiar with the mudra Brahmari practice, humming bee? Anybody who's, can, can somebody show me how it is done? So I know that you, we're talking the same thing. What is Shanmukhi Mudra? Right, beautiful, yes. Excellent, yep, yep, very good. You all got it. Good, so you, you close all the faculties and then do the humming bee sound, which is again, focusing on just one sense perception and that's the sound of the humming bee. That's all you're focusing on. Everything else is completely shut out. Okay, that is a sim symbolic gesture to bring in a state of pratyahara. It's called the Shanmukhi Mudra. 
Another practice that we do in, our, in my class is this candle gazing, Trataka it's called. And you, you know, I'm sure most of you have done it. Is anybody who has never done candle gazing? Anybody? Everyone has done it? <laughs> candle gazing, right. Okay. That's a very beautiful practice. See? And I also have a Pratyahara meditation where I go through a sequence where I connect with each of the five senses and then I withdraw from the five, withdraw from the senses. If you're not familiar with it and if you want to, to see an audio of this, let me know. I'll be very glad to have to share the audio recording of this meditation. I have an audio recording and uh, I'll be very happy to share it. So if you, if you want it, send me a note and I'll be glad to share it. Okay. All right. So that's all the notes I have on Pratyahara. <laughs> Anybody have any thoughts, comments on Pratyahara? I have a question. Yes. Um, we're studying this kind of in relationship to how this would get us into meditation, correct? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Because, um, you know, Sometimes, you know, external stimuli or do actually create, you know, disturbances in our mind field, but um, it, there are times when we ourselves through our thought processes create more external, more disturbances in our brain. So um, this is just a technique that you would use to kind of calm those fluctuations in your mind. Well, calm, calm the fluctuation in the mind by not letting any, any input from the five senses distract us, basically. Right. But sometimes you could be in a state over something like worry, yes. something that didn't get any stimulation from an external or outside. You just created it yourself, basically, in your own mind. Yes. This is a technique that you can use by turning yes. off your senses. Right, right. So, you know, this is where we, we get into this gray area, which is a combination of pratyahara and this, and this practice called dharana. You know, med meditation has three practices like dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. So, this is a combination of pratyahara and dharana then, because when, when you have been able to cut out input from the five senses and yet, you're, you're getting deeply bothered by stuff that's coming out from our subconscious. Maybe it's a, a worry or something or some kind of distress or some guilt feeling or some such thing, you know. And then we are into this gray area of pratyahara and dharana. Because then you have to apply these practices to get more into dharana practice, right? So that, so that the mind slows down, it, it kind of gets, starts getting into, into a, a focus, a focal point, okay? So that's dharana, basically, the combination of pratyahara and dharana. Okay, and then the other thing was, what, ex okay, did we need to talk about how, what it means when you imitate the nature of the mind stuff? Right, so what, what we're saying is, instead of the, the senses, controlling the mind, now the mind will control the senses. So if you are going into a shopping area, okay, the senses will listen to the mind. They are following the mind. 
Okay, like I said, okay, so now I'm, I'm only interested in picking up a, a glass, of, a bottle of milk. That's it. So my eyes will go and look for a bottle of milk. And when they find it, you'll grab it. Now, while you're picking up the milk, you find something else very attractive. All right. You find some, uh, I don't know, whatever you like. I, I don't even know. <laughs> so, and then the, the senses are attracted by that. Then they start controlling the mind. Oh, no, 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 no. We should have this. We should have this. Okay. That's what we're trying to avoid. Mind can control the senses, which is fine. Because this is something we need, right? We need the senses to work for us. But we want them to work for us, not the other way around. Does that help? Yes. Okay. Very good. I had a question that's kind of in line with what Eleanor was saying, because um, I was wondering, is pratyahara about being attentive in as much as it is about withdrawing the senses, or is dharana where, or dharana where um, the attentiveness comes in? Or in both pratyahara and dharana, are they both about withdrawal and being attentive? You, you get my question, but it's more of like senses versus mind. It's senses and the mind, basically. You know, so pratyahara usually only applies to the five senses generally, okay? And dharana applies to the mind, okay? But like I said, they kind of work hand in hand in some places, okay? So when you have been able to disengage any input from the five senses, then there is a better chances that you will get into dharana. But then, like Eleanor said, you know, the mind is still full of stuff. You know, <laughs> we're still going to get bothered by stuff. So, so even though our senses may be completely disengaged, and yet we'll be bothered by the mind, and that's where dharana comes into play then. You know, then we are, when we are strictly on dharana. But what I was saying is that many of the techniques that are used for pratyahara are actually very conducive for dharana also. So like candle gazing right? It's a combination in my mind. When I teach candle gazing, I tell them, look, this is a beautiful practice for Pratyahara, and yet it is it can be used as a dharana practice as well. Okay, So it's a combination, because not only it disengages the mind from the five senses, but it also begins to focus the mind inward so that we are not distracted by anything, even from inside the mind now. Does that make sense, Diane? Yeah, I think I was being too black and white with one having to be about attention versus the other, um, but they're both leading us in that direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will attest to the candle gazing. That was one of the um, more enjoyable parts of the, pra the pranayama training. <laughs> that was really neat when we did that. <laughs> beautiful, yeah. That's a very beautiful practice. Yeah, that's very nice. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next sutra. <clears throat> now, this is what happens as a result of pratyahara. So, that's the, the benefit of pratyahara. So, what it says is tataha parama vashyata indriyanam. I should my house here. So, tataha parama vashyata indriyanam. So, what happens? Vashyata. That's what happened. Vashyata means. Uh, control, deep sense of control, vashyata. 
Okay, it is comes from the word wash. Wash means to control something, and washeta is the is the noun, the ability to control something. Parama, parama means supreme. Parama means at the highest level. Parama means highest level. Parmananda, I'm sure you've heard the term Parmananda. Parmananda means the highest level of ananda or bliss. Parmananda. Same thing. Parma vachata means the highest level of control over what? Indriyana of the Indriyas, of all the senses. So from the practice of tataha means from that. Tataha means from that. From what? The practice of pratyahara that we've been talking about. So from the practice of pratyahara, what do you get? You attain the utmost uh, control. Pashyata is control. Parama is utmost, supreme. Indriyana of the Indriyas, of the senses. So that's what it is. Then follows supreme mastery over the senses. So that's the the result of this pratyahara practices. That's what we want, supreme mastery. We want, we want to be master over the senses and not the other way around. Okay. Like I always like to add, you know, I, I want to enjoy my food. It's not that just because I have turned my senses away, you know, I don't want to enjoy my food. You know, I want to enjoy my food. You know, I want to, I, I love some items. I really want to enjoy them. But what I want to attain is the ability to, to not be uh, unhappy if, if I don't find the food that I was looking for. Okay. That's what I want to be able to get so that the mind is in control. And I want to have only the, the food that at that time the mind thinks is the right food for you. Okay. Not just because I'm attracted to it. Even if I'm not hungry, if I want something, but just because it looks attractive, I'm going to be in trouble. I want to avoid that. Okay. So that's the kind of idea that I'm, you know, we're talking about here that you have to have that supreme mastery of the senses that they do not control you. Okay. All right. So let's move on. So, you know, <clears throat> this is again, some of the commentators, they, they kind of, give you the grades of control, not being addicted to the five senses, reaching out and gaining experience of external objects which are not prohibited by the scriptures. Now, this is something that we have to understand, you know, these, uh, these ancient texts, they are supposedly the guides for us. They will tell you that you have to have experience of the, of the external objects, but in a, in a proper manner, you know, they, they give you guidelines as to what kind of exposure you should have. Okay, and experiencing the objects only as a result of free will. I've been saying the same thing in a different way, but not drawn in by the objects. So it's the other way around, okay? We're not getting attracted by the five senses, but we are controlling the five senses based on our best understanding of what's right for us, okay? So this experience of an object can lead to full knowledge of the object without causing pleasure or pain as we have no likes or dislikes for external objects. That raga and dvesha, if you, everyone remembers those two terms, raga and dvesha, which are likes and dislikes, which was right at the very beginning of chapter two, five kleshas. Does everyone remember five kleshas? Yes, no? 
Yes, five kleshas, so raga and dvesha. So as we get is disengaged from the raga and dvesha, then, then we can not only gain a better understanding of each object, but then we can enjoy the objects at will, okay? Then we, without getting engaged, we develop a deeper understanding. And pleasure and pain, as we know, are the results of ego identification. Okay, so completely eliminating contacts with the objects is a final controllability and comes about when the mind is fully one-pointed. Any stage other than the last stage can take us back to a state of no control over the senses. <laughs> I don't know what this means. Even a snake expert would not sleep next to a venomous snake thinking that he knows how to control the snakes. Okay, so, so basically the same thing, you know. The, the, uh, it's just like the senses, you know, they can, they can wake up at any time. Okay? So, a snake expert would not sleep next to a venomous snake. Because venomous snake can cut, you know, can bite and harm us. Okay, next one is, oh, there's another story here that I read from, from one of the commentators. It's from Bhagavat Purana. So, <laughs> it's an interesting story. So it says the, the, to avoid lure of the senses, this, this guy, this sage Saubhari, he decides to meditate underwater because outside the water, so many distractions to the five senses. So he says, I'm going to go underwater and meditate there, underwater. So he meditates underwater of river Yamuna and he, the idea was to, to have perfect sense control and breath control so that you, know, you are underwater and you're really able to focus on your, on your meditation. There's no other distraction. But then sight of the of two fish mating arouses his passion. <laughs> I couldn't avoid that. <laughs> and he gets so aroused. And the story goes on. It's a long story. You know, I, I just picked up these couple of words from here. It's a very long story. Sight of these two fish mating arouses his passion. And he gives a meditation and runs to the king. And then he, you know, he begs the king for his daughter's hand in marriage. But then uh, the story goes on that the king had uh, apparently uh, uh, 50 daughters, looks like. <laughs> and so he says, hey, you know, if I want to get them married, I want to get, get all of them married. So this guy was, you know, by that time he had developed some special power. So he said, okay, I will multiply myself into 50 people, person, so he multiplies himself and gets married. And then, of course, the story goes on for thousands of years, and finally he realizes what a mistake he has made and all that. Anyway, that's a long story. But this is what the senses can do, right? They can revert you back at any moment if you're not careful. And another story that people gave is the story of, of Sita and Ramayana, where, uh, you know, the, her captor, Ravana, he lured her with all kinds of sense objects, you know, flowers and jewels, jewelries and all that. But she was totally, totally devoted to her husband. So she was not distracted and her senses were 100% under her control. Okay, so that's the story from 
Ramayana. Who does not know anything about Ramayana? Who has never heard of Sita? Okay, Diane. Anybody? Okay, you, you. Okay, most of you haven't heard. Okay. Uh, so in, in the Indian culture, there are two big stories. One is called Ramayana, and the other is called Mahabharata. And uh, they uh, they kind of form the the cultural kind of the let's say the cultural background for the Indian Indian culture, basically. Okay. So these two stories there. Uh, very, very uh, popular. Popular, like I said, they, they, they define the cultural fabric, cultural media of the entire Indian culture. And all kinds of good stuff in there, bad stuff in there. But <laughs> so uh, if, you have a, if you have time, you should just read up on Ramayana and Mahabharata. Maybe in Wikipedia, you'll get an, you'll get an overview of what these are. And you'll get a basic understanding of what the Indian society, social norms are based on, basically, roughly. How do you spell, how do you spell the second story? Mahabharata, M-A-H-A-B-H-A-R-A-T-A. -A -A. Thank you. All right. Okay. Oh, this is this came out very small. I don't know if anybody can read this. <laughs> How can I make it large? Can I? Change it to slideshow mode. Um, at the bottom, you see the um, next. Yep, the next one. Sorry. Oh, okay, slightly, slightly better. Okay. Anyway, this I, I'm not going to go through them in detail, but this is just a sample, and there are many, many verses in the Bhagavad Gita which relate to the senses and sense control and what damage they can do and all that. So there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, <laughs> I, I just picked a couple at random. I didn't want to. Bhagavad Gita is full of these, these verses, this kind of verses. So uh, this one is the, is the number 16, chapter 2. The senses are so strong and impetuous, so original, that they forcibly carry away the mind, even of a man of discrimination. Man of discrimination, that's vipaschitaha. That's a man who has wisdom, the true wisdom. So that's vipaschitaha the man of true wisdom who is in endeavoring to control them, okay? But then sometimes, just like the, the, uh, the example of Sabhari, you know, that King, that uh, Rishi Sabhari in the previous slide that we saw, even though you can be very uh, elevated in your spiritual uh, path, and yet you can be drawn back. That's this sutra, this shloka, this verse. Then the next, very next verse, it says, one who restrains his senses, keeping them under full control and fixes his consciousness upon me, me is Krishna or the, the Supreme Being, is known as a man of steady intelligence. Pragya, Pragya is the, is the true intuitive wisdom. That's what we are talking about here. 
And this is the same thing, you know, the pleasure that arises from contact with the sense objects, though appearing as enjoyable to worldly-minded people, are verily a source of misery. <laughs> okay, such pleasures have a beginning and an end, and so the wise do not delight in them. But like I said, Bhagavad Gita is full of uh, similar verses, and some of you may even, even be familiar with that. Uh, how many of you are actually familiar with the Gita? How many of you are not familiar with the Gita? Everyone is, right? So if you read the Gita, you will realize that that's full of verses which talk about the five senses and how much damage they can do if you, if you let them run wild. Okay. So that's the five senses. Okay, so now we have completed chapter two today, so far. <laughs> okay, so that was all of chapter two. Now, chapter three, as most of you know, uh, does anybody remember the, the name, the title of chapter three? What is it called? Anybody remember the name, chapter three? Vibhuti Pada? Yes, Vibhuti Pada. Yeah, the word Vibhuti means Vibhuti means uh, supernormal powers, basically. Supernatural, supernormal powers. Vibhuti. Okay. So, uh, again, you know, if you're interested, you know, in, in these, how these words are derived, you know, they all come from some root word. Here, the root word is bhu. Bhu simply means to happen. Okay, something that happens, the root word is bhu. So, bhuti is something that happens. But when you add the prefix vi, okay, vishesh, that means vishishta. That means something extraordinary happening. That's called vibhuti, extraordinary. The, the, the prefix vi, vi adds the meaning of extraordinary, out of ordinary, you know. So that's why it is, vibhuti means uh, something that is extraordinary, out of this ordinary, so supernormal powers, vibhuti. That's why vibhuti pada is all about gaining supernormal powers through what? What can bring about these powers according to Patanjali? Anybody? Enlightenment. How do you get that? <laughs> Through Ashtanga Yoga. <laughs> yes. Meditation, yeah. Meditation, basically meditation, yeah. These are called siddhis, right? Yes, siddhis, that's very good too. The vibhutis are called siddhis. And they are a result of deep meditation. And they happen before enlightenment actually. Okay, once you reach enlightenment, you have no desire for any siddhis at that point. You've gone past the siddhis. In fact, that's what Patanjali has, <laughs> has cautioned us against that look, guys, you may attain these siddhis, these supernormal powers, but if you get attracted to them, if you let your ego fall a prey to them, you are down the 
down, be trodden, you know, then you're down, basically. That means you're completely fallen from your path. You will never attain enlightenment at that point. So, yes. So, if you want to attain enlightenment, you know, let them be there. You know, if they come and come your way, you know, acknowledge them, uh, maybe welcome them, use them maybe for some good purpose, but don't misuse them as a way to show off your your powers as a way to show off your ego. Okay? So that's what Patanjali has cautioned us against in this chapter three. And it's all about attaining super normal powers. So that's uh, done through the practice of dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. And we'll talk about that. I guess uh, it's almost four o'clock. How do you feel like uh, you want to go through one or two, or you want to stop here? I'm good if we stop here. Okay. All right. So uh, when we stop, we always do five minutes of silence. Remember? So we will... Uh, Before we do, can I ask a question? Then? Um, yeah, as many as you have. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing that you said, I've... I've heard it before, but I, you've elaborated on it more than I've heard before. So I was wondering if you could delve a little deeper, just explaining. Um, so in attaining these superpowers, if we, let's say as an individual, you attain them at a certain point, is it that you're supposed to welcome the opportunity where you'll just kind of recognize throughout life that, oh, here's an opportunity where I need to engage in this? Or how do you temper the ego? I think that's the part where I'm wondering, so, how will you recognize before it's too late and it's so, it's erected I, to a point of no return kind of thing? If, if, if the ego is engaged, right? Let's say, you know, <clears throat> I mean, Patanjali has given so many examples of things which are beyond imagination. He, he even says that you can enter somebody else's mind and control their mind. He says you can, you know, you can walk on swamps and water and all that. You can become invisible. You can become large. You can become small. You can do so many things, okay? And things can happen. Now, the point is, let's say you attain one of these cities, okay? And let's say you can walk. Let's say you can walk on water. And now, if your ego is involved, you will say, oh, my God, I can walk on water. Let me show it to people and maybe I can make some money now, you know. And then you start having those dreams and becoming rich just by showing off. That's ego. Because the moment ego gets involved, you're done. You'll have no more progress in your spiritual you know, path. Okay? So that's what Patanjali says, that look. If you attain these siddhis, if you attain these powers, do not get attached to them. But you can use them to your good purpose, okay? And there are examples in our, in our Indian culture you know, where people have actually very effectively used them to help others, okay? If somebody is really bothered by something, you can enter their mind and clean up their mind and then come back. And you know, if you can become small or invisible, you can do that to help somebody or you can duplicate yourself. If you have uh, read this book called The Autobiography of a Yogi. Anybody read that book? Autobiography of a Yogi. 
it's by okay so heather has read it eleanor you have, no okay well, laura has read it okay it's a good book to read i'm uh, you know it's by yogananda anybody heard the name yogananda <laughs> okay. all right very famous yogi <clears throat> so it, it's it's his autobiography and in that one if you read that book he has given examples of many of these supernormal powers and how uh, his teachers, his associates, they use these powers to help each other, help others. So I recommend that you read that book. It's a very nice book. Uh, it's all about Kriya Yoga, but they don't tell you what Kriya Yoga is, but they give you all the benefits of that practice. You know, there's an organization called the Self realization fellowship okay srf so they are the people who promote those practices and the, the this organization was established by yogananda okay and he is the proponent of that so uh, you, can, you can try and read that book it's a good book <laughs> does that help for diane okay all right Let's now sit quiet, close the eyes for five minutes, your own personal time to go reflect deep inside.
of our closing sequence. Let's see. Share the screen. Let's close the eyes and we'll do we'll recite Om once now. So take a deep inhalation. Invocation to Patanjali again. So <clears throat> again, you're welcome to read the screen or just sing along uh, or close the eyes. Yogin chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaidyakena yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim Pranjaliranatusmi Patanjalim Pranjaliranatusmi Abahupurushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim I bow down with deep respect to Sage Patanjali. Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. If anybody has any questions, I'm ready to stay back. Otherwise, we'll see you all next time. Thank you all for joining. So Thank much. you, Subhash. Good afternoon. Thank Thanks, Subhash. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.